0: Okay, friends, the story begins. And uh, we are on page 70. A Prayer by David, Tefillah Le David. This is, we're, we're actually rounding toward the end, toward the end of the Sitter. We're getting close. And prior to reciting the Song of the Day, sandwiched in here, Tefillah Le David, a Prayer by David. Um, This is cut and paste from the book of Psalms, chapter 86 of Psalms, and I I think let's, let's read through this in English just real quickly to familiarize ourselves with it before understanding why it's recited here at this point. A prayer by David, Lord, turn your ear, answer me, for I am poor and needy, guard my soul for I am pious. You, my God, deliver your servant who trusts in you. Be gracious to me, Lord, for you I call all day. Bring joy to the soul of your servant, for to you, my Lord, I lift my soul. For you, my Lord, are good and forgiving and exceedingly kind to all those who call upon you. Lord, hear my prayer and sing to the voice of my supplications. On the day of my distress, I call upon you. For you will answer me. There is none like you among the supernal beings, my Lord, and there are no deeds like yours. All the nations that you made, that you have made, will come and bow down before you, my Lord, and give honor to your name. You are great, and you perform wonders. You are alone, O God, Lord. Teach me your way that I may walk in your truth. Unify my heart to fear your name. I will pri- I will praise you. My Lord, my God, with all my heart and give honor to your name forever. For your kindness to me has been great. You have saved my soul from the depths of Sheol. God, malicious men have risen against me. A band of ruthless men have sought my soul. They are not mindful of you. But you, my Lord, are compassionate and gracious, God. Slow to anger and abounding in kindness and truth. Turn to me. And be gracious to me. Grant your strength to your servant and deliver your son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of favor that my foes may see and be ashamed because you, Lord, have given me aid and consoled me. So, what do you think is going through King David's mind at this point? You know, there, what's interesting about the book of Psalms. Is it's there's no storyline in that book of the Bible. There's several books in the Bible in the in the Tanakh that don't have a real storyline. These are the backstory to Hillel Psalms. is actually the backstory of King David's life. We know about King David's life in the Book of Samuel, of him fleeing, of him killing Goliath, of him running from Sh- from Saul, of him becoming king, of him conquering Jerusalem. That's the story. The backstory is his book of Psalms because he's praising God in diverse situations and circumstances. Commentaries point out that in this particular Psalm, he happened to have been on the run like he was much of his life from King Saul who wanted to kill him. And that's why he's humbly praying to God, saying, God, listen to me turn your ear answer me okay why are we reciting this psalm here at this point it 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 always seems like a it seems like an extra like how did this end up your mic what are your thoughts are you muted uh you're muted
1: <clears throat> yeah sorry my my space bar thingy wasn't working no it, uh, it, it well was. it uh you can hear me right yeah okay um well, it seems like uh, he's calling out all of these challenging situations that he's he wants to draw strength from from Hashem, and uh, he's blessing Hashem, you know, asking for blessings from Hashem, and and it just seems like uh, you know he's kind of identified all of these uh, challenging moments uh, in in these various situations, uh, and is asking for
0: God's help uh, through through all of that you know, through through any and all of them. Oh, yeah, 100%, 100%. And how this relates to us in this context in prayer. So we had, you know, the climax of prayer is the Amida, or maybe even Tachnun where we're vulnerable with God. Coming off of that, we've segued to the Ashera, Lamanatze'echuvaletzi on those three parts and we've explained the context at this point, we say, God, we've been doing quite a lot of praying. Please listen to us. Please hearken our please, please listen to our prayers. As King David beseeched God, listen to me as we're on the run. So God listen to our prayers as well. Let us take these prayers home. Mm-hmm.
1: And and yet we, we don't say this when there's um no toxin.
0: Yeah, yeah. So we don't say it when there's no tachan because one of the sentences said, "Answer me on the day of distress," and on a day tachan is not said, so that that distress wouldn't be present.
1: Wait, so if that if that one verse wasn't there, we would say this even on days of no tachan?
0: Well, the, I mean, it has to do with the larger context of the prayer, where King David is on the run of you know for his life, King Saul wanting to kill him, and. There's that emotional space that this prayer is coming from. That make sense? So why,
1: Um, but uh, you're about to divulge to us like, okay, the, the placement of this prayer within the service is here
0: because... Okay, okay. There we go. There we go. That's where I wanted to get to. The, the commentary, one of my favorite commentaries known as the Alshich, Al-Sheikh lived in the, he was a student of the Abi Zal Rabbi Isaac Luria. Um, lived in the late 1500s, maybe early 1600s. And he points out a very interesting observation about this prayer. Let's dive into this observation and your question will be answered. Here's what he says. Usually when you, you know, you you pray for something and then you hope to get answered. But what King David here does is he asks God to answer him and then afterward specifies what he wants him to be answered about. A little bit of out of a little bit out of order here. Right? A prayer by David, Lord, turn your ear, answer me, for I am poor and needy. Okay, answer me about what? <laughs> and then he lists this whole long prayer God of my soul, I'm pious, and show me your ways, and you know, all these protect me and all these things like that. It, it seems like a backwards prayer. That's what the al-sheikh asks. There's a parallel to this earlier in the Torah. Eliezer. Abraham's servant. Abraham charges Eliezer with a mission. What's his mission? Go find a wife for my child, Isaac. And he makes Eliezer promise that he's going to find a wife from the right from the... Right for the right space. And Eliezer says, God, I got to pick a needle out of a haystack here. I need your help. Give me some sort of sign. Help me. Let me get this mission right. I pray that I find the right lady. And he says, I pray that the lady who comes with the water and offers water to my camels, that will be a sign that she has a good character and that she should be the one. And that ended up being Rebecca. And what does the Torah say? Before he finished even speaking, his prayers were answered. Before he even finished speaking, his prayers were answered. Why? Seems like a special person. What is so special about this Eliezer person? He doesn't seem that special in the Torah. He's just a he's a servant. He's an employee. What's, what's the big deal? Why is he treated with such... Um, Why didn't God answer me before I finish speaking? <laughs>
1: is, is it because of the man he works for? Yeah, that's what I was going to
0: say. Okay, you're on the right track. You're on the right track. It has to do not with him, but what he was praying for. He was praying... He was on a mission to build the future of Judaism finding a wife for Isaac. If he was praying for himself, for his own needs, he may not have gotten that treatment. But because he realized he was on a mission, I'm here to serve. I'm here to channel something bigger. I'm here to create something part of a bigger picture to make this world a better place, to carry on the, the what Abraham had been building, this, this empire of faith and monotheism and truth and morality. Me finding a wife for Isaac is going to continue that trajectory and bring what Judaism has to offer to the world. It's not about me, God. It's about this mission. He was on a mission. So much so, by the way, interesting observation. Look at that Torah portion, Chayisara. It does not actually say Eliezer's name once in that portion. You ever notice that? His name is not even mentioned. We know that his name is Eliezer from a previous portion. And Rashi tells us that it's the same Eliezer, but his name is not explicitly mentioned in the portion because the attitude was, it's not about me. I'm here to channel something bigger. I have a mission. And he's answered right away. And this is the attitude King David's trying to implore in this prayer over here. God, answer me. And then afterwards, relaying what he wants to be answered about. And perhaps we're approaching this prayer with that same attitude with that attitude of my life is not just about running away from anti-Semites, running away from King Saul, running away from death. I'm on a mission. That's why I need you to answer me. And therefore, it's appropriate to answer me before I even finish praying, as it was appropriate to answer Eliezer before he finished praying. Coming off of the Amida, that's the attitude we should have after the Amida and the Tachnun and the Shema, we should feel like we're on a mission. And that's why we need God to answer us, not just because we're desperate. You know, when, when Yaakov, Jacob, Jacob was fleeing from Esav, last week's portion, was it last week? Two, two portions ago, he's fleeing from Esav. And, I mean, you got you got to think about what Yaakov's, what, like, what's going in his head. He is kind of manipulated into stealing the blessings. You know, his mother pushed him to do it. It wasn't something he was going to do. He thinks he's doing the right thing, and now his brother wants to kill him. His parents send him away. He now has to move to a corrupt, strange land away from his parents' home. And he's got nothing. He's got no money. He's got no possessions. He has no family yet at this point. His life is just about running away from death. By going from an anti-Semite, of to a little less extreme anti-Semite, love for, for for being, for salvation. And he stops on the way and falls asleep in a very special spot, Mount Maria. And he has a dream. And in the dream, there's the ladder with the angels going up and down. And God appears to him in this dream and says, Jacob, don't worry. I'm going to make you a great nation. And he gets this boost of confidence. He gets this excitement. And what does the Torah say afterwards? He wakes up and what does it say? I quote and I'll translate. Vayisa Yaakov Etraglav. Yaakov Carried up his legs, Rashi explains he had a rush of joy and excitement. He you know, jumped for joy. My life is no longer about running away from anti-Semitism, but I do have a real future and trajectory and purpose. There's a real mission here, that I have. I'm not just running away from my parents' home to the town of Haran because I want to because of anti-Semitism. My Judaism is not about running away from anti-Semitism. My Judaism has purpose and meaning, and has a real future. In fact, the commentary Saforno says, "What does it mean? What does it mean that he lifted up his legs? Up until this point, his legs were carrying him. (laughs) He's dragging his feet. (laughs) Where am I going? At this point, I'm going to live life intentionally because I have a meaning. I have meaning and purpose. I'm lifting up my legs." That's what Asphano says. this This is what king David is is trying to employ here. There's a purpose, there's a meaning. And yes, I'm desperate. And yes, there's people after me. And God, I need you to save me. But I need you to save me. That's not my life. My life isn't just being saved from death. <laughs> I'm not just Jewish because everybody's an anti-Semite and as soon as the anti-Semites calm down, let me forget about my Judaism until the next generation, anti-Semites come out again. Now I'm passionate about Judaism again. This is the theme throughout history. We have to be Jews because we're Jews. Not because there's anti-Semites out there. Related to this, there's another commentary on the sitter. One of the most authoritative commentaries on the sitter, Known as the Abu Dharam. Abu Dharam was a Sephardic Jew. Of David Abu Dharam. And he says the reason why we recite this prayer here. Is because of a different line. Not because we're beseeching for our prayers to be answered after the Amida, But there's a different reason. Um let me find the line over here okay if you look in the middle of the prayer here one, one, two, three, four, five. Thirteen lines from the bottom the middle of the sent uh, the middle of the line where it says Lord teach me your way You see him? So Lord, teach me your way that I may walk in your truth. Unify my heart to fear your name. This is the crux of this prayer. I've dove into the Shema and and the preparatory prayers that had led me to appreciating the full meaning of the Shema. The Amidah, Tachnun. Segwayed into the other prayers at this point i should be i'm getting close to the end of prayer what should i have at this point clarity right it's the same idea of having a mission i have a purpose yeah question so
1: this is kind of interesting maybe you could translate the hebrew directly but i'm honing in on unify my heart and I'm, mm. and i'm thinking hmm that's a tanya concept but this happened long before the the, uh, the the explanation from tanya right yeah so what's what's the hebrew actually saying here and okay. what, is the, what is the intent
0: of saying unify my heart okay I'm i'm so glad you mentioned this because the first half of the sentence is god show me your way right give me the sensitivity to appreciate that life isn't random and that I just showed up here and I'm here to go to work and go home and eat dinner and, and wake up again so I could go to work and go home and eat dinner, that I have a real purpose, right? And the sensi- the prayer gives us the sensitivity to, to, to appreciate that purpose, right? How do I get that sensitivity? How do I get that soul sensitivity, develop that sensitivity, to appreciate that my life isn't random, that I have a really strong bond and connection with God, and that I have a purpose in this world, and it's not just about running away from death. The answer is in this sentence you just read, but let's go to the Hebrew because you're right. The Hebrew is going to do us better justice. Um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven lines from the bottom in the Hebrew. It says, Horeini Hashem. Do you see it? It's towards the beginning of the line. Second word of the line. Horeini Hashem. You guys see it? Okay. John, you got it? Jim? Count seven lines from the bottom. Okay. Actually, eight lines. Eight? Okay, my math is off. Okay, well, I only do math in multiples of 18, you know that. <laughs> <laughs> Horeini Hashem Darkecha. Horeini means show me, God, your way. Ahalech, I, that I should walk in your truth, from the word Emmet. Then the second half of the sentence How do I get to this? How do I get to experiencing your ways, God? How do we get to experience the fact that I have a purpose and meaning and that I'm relevant to existence? Before we get there, I want to tell you a quick story. Not a story, uh, an analogy. There's the famous analogy of the Balshemtov, explaining how everything, how God is intimately involved in every single aspect and part of creation and everything's part of God's master plan. How a wind might come and we might not realize the purpose of that wind. And we may not have noticed that that wind had blown off a leaf from the tree. And that leaf may have landed in a particular spot. And if you we were to lift up that leaf, there's a worm that was baking in the sun. and It was just too hot. And God was taking care of that worm. Right. So caused the wind to come. And why there needed to be heat, because maybe there were crops that needed to grow. So rather than stopping the sun, God wanted to take care of the worm. But in a different This was the the analogy of the Bassem. Every single single aspect in creation is relevant to a bigger picture. And if this is relevant to a worm and to a leaf and to a wind, how much more so to a human being who makes choices. This is very relevant. And what we should have post-prayer or what we want to have, what we're praying to have, is Like King David, God, please don't let my life just be about running away from hatred. Let it have meaning and purpose. Show me your ways. As he's running from King Saul, show me your ways, God. I want to walk in your truth. I don't want my life to be running away from this guy. I want to be running toward you, right? I don't want my freedom to be, I'm out of Egypt. It's let our people go out of Egypt so we could serve God on this mountain, right? Now, how do we get this sensitivity? Let's read the second half of the sentence. Again, eight lines from the bottom. Second half of the sentence, right after the comma. Do you see it? Okay, I'm going to read and translate. Yahed, they, they translated it as unify, but let's say unite. Yahed levavi, unify my heart, Liira shmecha. Unify my heart to revere or fear your name. Unite my heart to fear your name.
1: so so before you launch into further explanation okay um so I'm noticing a differentiation here between something I was thinking about and and what I what I said so 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 like uh in the via hafta levavecha your heart's plural but here it's levavi which is my heart singular which means it's not really necessarily linked to what I originally thought about Tanya. No, 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 no,
0: you're, you're right, you're right. Translations are dangerous. Translations are dangerous. Take a look on page 42 and how they translate heart in the Shema. Because they're trying to make it make sense. They're not trying to give you everything here with a translation. Page 42. You shall love the Lord your God, with all your heart. They translate it as heart just to make it make sense, even though it should be hearts. Same thing over here. There's two bets. It didn't say libi, which would be my heart. It says levavi, my hearts. So yeah, it's two hearts. Unite our my hearts. I have two hearts. So there's a... a, a Beautiful, beautiful explanation from the Alter Rebbe, from Rabbi Shneur Zaman of Liadi, the, the author of the Tanya. He doesn't write this in the Tanya; he writes this in one of his other books. And this is one of my favorite teachings of him. So I'm really glad you asked this, and it's going to answer our question about developing soul sensitivity. He says that every single person has two hearts. You have a conscious heart, and you have a subconscious heart. Not, 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 not physiologically or biologically. But the idea of what a heart represents, the emotional capacity, right? We have two emotional capacities, two types of emotional capacities. Put it this way. There's two ways to love God. I could love God because I thought about God. And the more I think about God and the more I realize this is true and this is meaningful, the more I'm going to love him. Or I can love God because I'm inherently bound with him. You could love your spouse because you appreciate what your spouse does for you. That's a very conscious level. Or you can love your spouse because you married them and you're connected. Now, in order for the relationship or, or same thing with your children. Children's also a great example. You could love your child because you're proud of them or, or let's say when they're young because they're cute and they came home with a little construction paper project and you can't even read their handwriting, but it's really cute. So you love your child or a little bit older, you're proud of their accomplishments or whatever it might be. There's a reason why you love them. Right? The degree that you love them is to, deg- is to the degree that you are proud of them. Or you can also love your child unconditionally because they're your child. Now, and or if you want the relationship to be most functional, you need both because they each have their own, both emotional capacities has something to offer, both the conscious and subconscious. Let's say I just loved my child because they're my child, then that's it. I may not be aware that I love them. I'm going to I'm going to value them no matter what. But I might feel anger at times. I may feel resentment at times. I may feel. But at my heart of hearts, I still love them. But if I balance that with a conscious love, with reason, No, there's an actual reason to love them right now, even if I'm angry at them, right? It's not just because you're my child. (laughs) Um, Conversely, if I just love you because of your accomplishments, that's not nice either. (laughs) You know, you might fail in life later on. I'm still going to love you, though. So you need both. And this is true in a marriage. Um, This is certainly true in our relationship with God. There's my conscious relationship with God. My external emotional capacity. I love God because I thought about him. And I believe he's relevant to me. Or I could love God because I'm bound with him. And it's almost like a visceral reaction. I shouldn't say visceral. It's an an instinctual reaction. Didn't even choose it. I think about how people, how Jews tend to react to anti-Semitism. They double down and say, I'm Jewish. (laughs) They don't think about it. It's not like they philosophized about it. It's not like they learned more about their Judaism. (laughs) But it sparked something subconscious. We have both relationships with God. And if we want our relationship with God to be functional, to be less tension, we need both. Because if my relationship with God is pure, I'm bound to him no matter what, even if I don't feel it, I'm going to have to push myself. If my relationship with God is just about how I feel, that's also not really uh um that, that's also kind of limited. In order to get the most out of our relationships, we need our subconscious and conscious heart to be aligned, to be in sync. And that's why it says, Yached, unite levavi my hearts. Let me not just know that I'm inherently connected with you. Let me feel how this connection is relevant to me. Both parts of the heart. Both subconscious and conscious. And this is literally the goal of prayer. One of the goals of prayer. Or teshuva. Or learning the tanya. It's the same thing, different language. Realigning ourselves. It's just realignment. And when we have that alignment, we should be more sensitive to how relevant God is. We should be more sensitive to the fact that God needs us and that we have a purpose and that I'm here to give. I'm here to serve. And we should appreciate that my life is not just about running away from anti-Semitism or from hatred. But I have a real direction and trajectory. I'm not just here about, I'm not just here to take refuge here to give.
1: So, um, perhaps you're answering some questions or maybe you're making me have more questions. I'm not sure yet, but, um, As we were reading this, I was trying to make a link, trying to establish a link between... I knew of one prayer, but now here's the second prayer that refers to two hearts, right? Um, And then, of course, these, these prayers were written
0: well over a thousand years ago, right? Well, this is with King... This is King David. This is closer to... Um, 2,500 years ago, right? So, so, so twenty six
1: like long over a thousand years, but then the, 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 the Tanya is only a, a few hundred years in the writing, right? Yeah. So I was thinking, oh, well, perhaps the Tanya has been took, took some inspiration from these prayers as far as this concept of two hearts, right? That that's, that's, I was originally thinking this, right? But then, as you're talking about this, you, you're you were referring to like the heart as uh, conscious and subconscious in terms of the prayer, um, which doesn't align with how I think about the hearts when we talk about
0: of animal life. soul and divine soul. You can exactly. look at it that way as well. Right, different I, I, paradigms.
1: I, right, right, different paradigms, but they don't necessarily overlap either. Right, I don't because subconscious and conscious. I mean that that's almost the same. Well. Is your good inclination well, only conscious and your so, evil so, inclination? So I don't think that works like that, right? So, so,
0: yeah, yeah, it's an excellent question. So, so the 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 general there's the general battle between both hearts, the divine soul and the animal soul. Within the divine soul, there could be misalignment. And there's conscious and subconscious.
1: Within the divine soul.
0: The divine soul itself could have a misalignment. You could be so caught up in how I feel about God, and not realize that I'm bound with Him, whether I feel it or not. The the subconscious. You could so, say that's probably true of the of the animal soul too. Yeah, the soul as well. The, the, so the the exam- So the, I'll give you an, the 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 author of the Tanya again, where he gives this explanation, gives a an analogy. I think we may have said this a while ago. I don't know if I'm on repeats here, but he says that, uh, sorry, he says that the, he says this is an analogy of the sun and the moon. The sun is shining 24 hours a day. You only see the sun shining 12 hours, 13, 14 hours, or in the winter, 10 hours a day, right? You don't see it shining the whole time. At nighttime, the sun is still shining. But the only way you're going to see the sun shining is if it's reflected on the moon. When it's not reflected on the moon, does that mean the sun stopped shining? It just means the moon's in the wrong spot. Right? So moving the moon to the right spot, now they're aligned and now the sun will reflect on the moon. And you have beautiful light even when it's dark. So he says we have dark moments in our life. We have gallus exile moments in our life where the depths of our soul, my subconscious relationship with Hashem that is bound with Hashem for no reason but just because it's connected and bound, it's shining the whole time. But in our dark moments, we won't feel it unless we put our heart and mind in the right space. And that's the alignment of the conscious and subconscious. That perspective will, will will relieve so much tension, will give us so much clarity. This is what Daviding essentially is. Because at the beginning of Daviding, we're very focused on the subconscious, which is why we start off with moda'ani. I simply just concede that there's a God because I know the depths of my heart that he's there. I may not feel it or or understand it yet. But at this point in davening, after a mature davening, right? Now, obviously, to think every all the meditations we've gone through every single day is challenging. Right? Hasidim used daven for a long time for a reason. But at this point in davening, theoretically, we're at a mature space where I not only know in the depths of my heart that this is true, but I actually get it actually feel it. And that's why we're saying right now, God, let, let these two parts of us be aligned. Does that make sense? When they're aligned, you have a lot more strength over the animal soul. When we have that inner alignment, when our inherent connection is reflected in how we think and feel, the sun shining on the moon, Reflecting on the moon. We have a lot more power over the animal soul. We have a lot more clarity. The animal soul is like a strong animal, but it doesn't have clarity. And we could outsmart it with clarity. We could even inspire it with clarity. Even better. Show that animal, hey, if you let me ride you, I could take you to a better place. And now you have a certain passion that you didn't have before. Now you're really aligned because you're aligned not only with your heart, you're aligned with your animal soul and ultimately with behavior. Excellent question. Thank you. Thank you for that. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that's the story. I'm sticking to it.